The title of my message this morning is The Mundane to the Amazing. The Mundane to the Amazing. And um, I'm going to jump straight in. So if you could open your Bibles with me to 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7. 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7. And it says, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. You know, something that I love to do, something that really recharges my batteries is going skating. It's Yes, I'm an adult that rides skateboards, um, I started riding skateboards two years ago when I sped too much and had my license suspended. And, and I got a skate, I decided I'm gonna ride a skateboard, and one day I just went to the shop, brought a skateboard, and taught myself to skate, and I realized that I loved it. I absolutely loved it. And it's something that I just go out and do just when I've got the time, and I just go and I skate. And last week I went for a skate, I got a new skateboard, and And I just decided I'm going for a skate. I hadn't been for ages. And I just decided I was going and I went out to um, Nobby's Beach and I skated from Nobby's all the way around past Newcastle Beach. And as I'm skating along, I just had this sense to pray. And I wasn't praying about anything particular. I wasn't praying for anyone. I, I just felt to pray. And I just started talking to God. And I had this overwhelming sense that the presence of God was with me. And God started talking to me. But it wasn't anything amazing or anything spectacular. It was just talking to God. It was just this beautiful moment with God as I'm enjoying his creation and and skating along and there's new footpaths there and it's amazing. And, you know, I just spending time with God. And I I had this thought that how weird is it how normal God is? Like, you know, God... We think of God as this massive, 60-foot-tall, angry guy with a big beard, and whenever he shows up, there's fires and lightning and earthquakes. But in my experience, whenever God shows up, it's just a voice, just a whisper, just a presence, just something incredibly natural and incredibly normal. And you see this all through the Bible, that when God shows up, it's, it's not this big, earth-shattering thing, but it's just a traveler. Or, or a voice, or, or something incredibly normal. When God shows up to save humanity, he shows up as a baby in a food trough. There's no lightning and glory and, and battle cries, just a baby in a food trough for animals. And when God fulfills that plan to save humanity, it's not with armies and war cries and, and shining glory, it's a man hanging on a criminal's cross. Incredibly normal, incredibly mundane things. And because we think of God in this weird way that he's angry and horrible, we act accordingly. We feel like we have to make these big declarations of, of repentance and, and wear the right clothes and, and, and show up to church and read our Bible every day and then God will be happy with us. But if we don't do that, he's angry with us and we're, we're always scared. But God's not like that. He's gentle. He's normal. He, he just wants to have a relationship with us. You know, that verse that I just shared out of 1 Samuel, God had tasked Samuel with finding a new king for Israel. 
And he sends Samuel to the house of Jesse. And Samuel gets there and he sees Jesse's eldest son and he's big and muscly and tall. And, and, and Samuel goes, all right, this guy's, this guy's got the goods. He's kingly. And God goes, no, I don't want him. I'm not interested in him. I'm not interested in his height or his appearance. See, the person that God had picked to be king of Israel was a scrawny 10 to 15-year-old kid who was out in the field. He was so normal and so, like, he was forgettable. Jesse, his father, forgot to call him in when God asked to see all his sons. Like, this is the guy that God picked. There was nothing special about David. There was nothing that stood out. He wasn't the most, you know, he didn't say the most amazing, outrageous prayers. He didn't make great declarations of repentance. He was just a kid that liked talking to God. He was just a kid that liked having relationship with God. He, would, he liked to sit out in the fields and sing songs to God. And God saw something in his heart that the world wouldn't have seen by just looking at David. See, David was just normal. He was just mundane, but God saw something amazing in him. Because God doesn't want rituals, he wants relationship. He's not interested in us, you know, being weird for him because he's not weird. A verse that I, there's a, verse, a couple of verses that I love out of Matthew, and it's in the message, and I'm going to read them to you real quick. Is, are you tired Worn out, burn out on religion. Come to me and get away with me and, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. I remember the first time I read that verse in that particular translation, and it was, it was pretty life-changing for me. Um, I'd grown up in a very religious church. Um, in the church I went to in Russia was incredibly religious. They had this thing called on a warning, right? And if you got put on a warning... It was because you did something wrong and the pastor wasn't happy with you. And what you had to do is, whenever you came into church, you would have to sit in the back row and no one in the church was allowed to talk to you. And this could be for two weeks, could be for three weeks, it could be for a month. This was just one of the things. So we had to dress a certain way to be at church. We had to, um, I was on the worship team at church and we had to, I had to wear a blazer and a tie to church every single week. And this is a Pentecostal church, like we sang Hillsong songs. Um, <laughs> so it was, it was a, if you did the wrong thing too many times, the pastor would excommunicate you. Um, I remember I didn't wear the right shoes to church one morning, so I wasn't allowed to play on band and they actually sent me home to get changed and I didn't come back to church, so I was in more trouble for that. <laughs> Um, it was just, it was, and that's what I grew up with. And I grew up, in, growing up in that church, I spent a lot of time trying to please the people at church, making sure that I wore the right clothes. I was at church events four nights a week, two band rehearsals, a youth group, and a connect prayer night every week. So I spent more time at church than anywhere else. But the funny thing was, all the time that I spent at church trying to wear the right clothes and make all the pastors and the leaders happy and things like that, I was doing exactly the same thing out of church. 
I was trying to please my friends at school. I was, you know, everything was, you know, fashion, making sure I had the right clothes so I'd fit in with them, making sure I had enough social media followers, making sure that I had enough Facebook likes, making sure I had enough Instagram hearts, you know. Everything that I was doing, or the clothes that I wore, the car that I drive, whatever, everything was about trying to please the people around me, trying to, trying to show my worth and value. You know, and when I think back on that time, you know, I've been a musician for my whole life. And when I think back on that time in my life before I had a revelation of God's, God's love, before I had a revelation of what's written in that verse, it was like... I think of everything in music. I think in life about the music I listen to depends on my mood and I have certain memories based around certain songs that I've listened to. And I picture that type of time in my life as like it's like listening to heavy metal music or like dubstep really heavy. Like it's music that evokes a response. You can't just listen to it. It's heavy and it's loud and it surrounds everything and you can't focus when you've got heavy metal. Like you just want to just hang bang and... and, and that's, it, it calls for that response. You have to almost engage with that music because it's heavy, it weighs you down. It, it. But when I think of my life with Jesus, when I think of that verse, the unforced rhythms of grace, it's like slow jazz, you know, like elevator music. You get in there, you don't dance to slow jazz. You just listen to it. You just enjoy it. It, do, it doesn't force anything out of you. It doesn't evoke a response. You just enjoy it. It's just there. And if you need to stop listening to it, you can. It doesn't bother you. You can just drown it out with your thoughts because it's not heavy. It's, it's just there. You know, God doesn't want us to be weird. He doesn't want us to just have this response because we have to have a response. He wants us to respond because we love him, because we enjoy spending time with him, because we want to have a relationship with him. You know... I find it insane how many times Jesus stresses this point. All through these verses, he says, come to me, get away with me, walk with me, work with me, watch how I do it, keep company with me. You know, and I, I, he stresses it. It's like he's almost begging us to engage with that. It's like he's going, he cannot stress it enough that you have to get away with him. You have to be with him. You have to keep company with him. Because something I've found in my life is as soon as I step out of company with Jesus, as soon as I get distracted by life and I stop reading my Bible and I stop communicating with him and talking to him, I fall right back into that old trap of trying to please him. I, try, I fall right back into that old trap of looking at my social media and looking at my followers and defining myself by those things. That I spend my time thinking, how can I make God happy with me again? How can I please him? And then you come, you come back to him and he's like, it's all good. You don't need to do that. Just love me. Just walk with me. But he stresses that point. Don't go away. Because if you fall away, I immediate, you immediately fall back into those old ways. You know, you instantly go back to trying to define your own good, define your own opinion of what you think you should be doing or what the world's telling you that you should be doing. You know, I love it. I love the story of Adam and Eve, the story of creation. I love Genesis. It's such a great book. I encourage If you've never read Genesis, get in there and read it. It's awesome. But in Genesis chapter 1, verse 3, it says, And God said, Let there be light. 
and there was light. And he saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. You know, all through the, the first couple of chapters of Genesis, God defines what's good. When he, he, on the first day, he creates light, and he saw that it was good. Then he separated the waters from the sky, and he saw that was good. He created the continents, and he saw that was good. He created the sun and the moon and the stars and space, and he saw that was good. He created the birds and the fish, and he saw that was good. He, he created man, and he saw that was good. And on the last day, on day six, he, he looks at all that he created, and he saw that it was very good. It was very good. And he's placed man in the garden, and he tells Adam and Eve, you can eat of anything you want, just don't eat of this one tree, of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. One thing God asked Adam to do, one simple task. And if you've read Genesis, you'll know that Adam and Eve are seduced by the snake and fall away from God and... and when God shows up, he's not angry. He's not weird. This is just another proof to how normal God is. He just walks into the garden and he's like, hey, Adam, where are you? He comes in looking for Adam. And, he, you know, there's a, there's a softness and a gentleness to it. You know, you, what you'd expect was there's one thing, Adam. Like, you know, I think of sometimes, like, not to bag out on my dad, but, you know, when I do the wrong thing sometimes, I'm normally pretty scared of my dad, especially as a kid. It was like, oh, man, I hope dad doesn't come home and find out. And, you know, mum used to use dad as a punishment. It's like when your dad gets home from work, <laughs> you know, and you spend the whole rest of the day waiting for dad to get home and, like, is he going to be really mad? I hope he hasn't had a bad day. <laughs> but God, when God shows up, he's just like... Where are you? It's so gentle, so loving. It's just how normal God is. But as soon as Adam and Eve ate from that fruit, they took a bite of that fruit, they instantly stopped defining themselves by what God had said was good, and they started defining their own good. You see, when, when you have the knowledge of good and evil comes the power to define good and evil. Adam and Eve now had the ability to define their own good and evil. They no longer were on track with God's perfect line of good. And something that humanity has done for the rest of history is try to find a common standard of good again. That's why we have things like fashion, things like money, things like politics, things like social media. They're all things that we use to define good, to have a common standard of good. If you have these sort of clothes, you're good. If you have this many likes, you're good. If you have this many followers, you're good. If you have this much money, you're good. If you have this type of house, you're good. If you drive this sort of car, you're good. And the rest of us who don't fit into those standards of good are sort of the normal lot, the, the lot that, oh, they're okay, they, they have this. And we set ourselves in these stages and we start defining ourselves by what we have and what the world tells us that we are or because we're searching constantly for a common standard of good, a common level that everybody can attain to. But when the world sets up a common standard of good, it's always evolving, it's always moving, it's always just out of reach. You might go and buy the freshest, sickest, most awesome, most expensive pair of shoes today, and tomorrow there is going to be a fresher, more sicker, more expensive pair of shoes. 
and you're constantly chasing that. But you see, when what the Bible says about God is that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And when you set yourself on God's standard of good, it's not changing, it's not evolving, it's not out of reach, because he's planned you and purposed you to fit into that. You know, we judge ourselves and we set ourselves into the boxes that the world sets for us. You know, I love the story of Gideon in the Bible. Gideon is, we don't really know much about Gideon. We just meet him and he's just this sort of kid who's, Israel's under the oppression of another, another nation and Gideon is in a thrashing floor trying to hide grain to feed his people and hide it away from the enemy and God shows up to Gideon and walks up to him and goes, Hey, Gideon, I want you to come and follow me. I'm going to do something amazing with you. And instantly, Gideon's first reaction is to go, No, you don't want me. I'm not the guy that you're looking for. You see, I'm the lowest, youngest son of the youngest son. I'm of the worst family in the worst clan in the worst tribe of Israel. On the totem pole of Israel, Gideon's right down here. You know, he, he's been told his whole life that he has nothing to offer. He's not going to get any inheritance. He's to, essentially to Israel, he's a nobody. He was the most average of the average of the average. No one had any expectation of Gideon. But God goes, shows up and goes, I'm going to do something amazing with you. And he takes Gideon and Gideon goes on this journey with God. And we see Gideon start to grow in his confidence. Because God starts to tell him who he is. God starts to pour his plan on Gideon's life. And Gideon starts to grow. And eventually, Gideon somehow, this young guy who was hiding grain away from the enemy, amasses an army of 16,000 men. Like somehow he's gone from a nobody, the youngest of the youngest, to leading an army of 16,000 men. And then God, shows, God goes, hey, Gideon, you've got too many guys. Gideon's like, what? I just got this army for you, God. God's like, no, it's too many, too many. Let's, let's get rid of some of them. So Gideon goes, hey, if you're scared and you don't want to go fight, go home. So the guy, he sends all these 6,000 guys to go home. They're left with 10,000. Gideon's like, cool, 10,000, we got this. God's like, no, still too many. So God, God sends Gideon down to the waters with the army and he goes, those who drink with their hands can go home, the rest of them can stay. Gideon's left with 300 men. 300 men, and God, God goes, okay, now we can do this. Gideon gets these guys and does this audacious plan where they get candles and um, light these fires, and they go up and they smash the candles and they yell, and the whole enemy army just basically kills themselves in fear and takes off, and they don't even have to get the sword out. And all of this is done by a nobody, by someone who the world looked at and went, you're not good enough, you're useless, there's no hope for you, nobody wants you, like, but God saw something in him. God took the mundane and did something amazing with it. Because when God defines us, when we live on his level of good and who he's called us to be, God takes the mundane and he does the amazing. One of my favorite verses, actually, it's my favorite verse in the whole Bible. 
is Ephesians 1.11 in the message. And some of you who've heard me preach before are like, Luke, you're like a broken record. Come on, man. But I love this verse. I live by this verse. Ephesians 1.11, and it says, It's in Christ we find out who we are and what we're living for. It's in Christ we find out who we are and what we're living for. It's in Christ we find our identity and our purpose. It's in Christ we find out why we're here. That fundamental question of humanity, why am I here and what am I doing? We can find that out in Jesus. You know, I want to talk about identity for just a moment. Identity. And I want to read you some of the things that the Bible says about who God says you are. And I'm not going to go through all the verses. I'm just going to read some of the things. But the Bible says that you are fearfully and wonderfully made, that you are treasured, that you are created with intention, that you are chosen, adopted into God's family, that God is so interested and invested with you that he has counted the hairs on your head, that you are valued and that you are loved. That the Bible tells us that the creator of our world, the creator of the universe, became man and died on a cross just so he could have a relationship with you. That's what the Bible says. That's what this book says. Because God says it. And whenever I spent time with God, when I was out, out skating the other week, I had an overwhelming sense of how much God loved me. Because when our identity is set in what the Bible says about us and what God says about us, that we are fearfully and wonderfully made, that we are valued, that we are loved, what does the world have to offer over that? When the world tells me that I'm useless, when the world tells me that I'm unwanted, when the world tells me that I have nothing to offer, God's going, you are valued, you're amazing, you're treasured, you are loved. And, you know... That gives me a security in my identity, that my identity is set in Jesus because he said that he loved me. He died on a cross because he loved me. He died on a cross so he could have a relationship with me. And then purpose, why we're here. Um, I want, there's three verses that I'm going to run through real quick and just share with you. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our own image after our likeness. You know, God created us in a way that when we did relationship with him, it would be natural and normal. That, that we are created in his image, that we would have the same desire and drive to be in relationship as he does. That it wouldn't be something awkward and weird, but it's just natural. In Mark 12.30, it says, Jesus said that this is the greatest commandment in the Bible. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And I'm going to jump straight to the next verse, Isaiah 43, verse 7. It says, Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. You know, we are created to be in relationship with God, but we also created to bring Him glory. And what better way can I bring glory to my God than letting him know that my heart's desire is to love him with all that I have? You know, we sang that song this morning, what can I say, what can I do but offer this heart completely to you? There's nothing more that I can give God. God is so good and amazing and powerful and I have nothing more than I can offer to him than going, God, I love you with everything I have. That... 
God wants, to, God wants us to, to choose him and cherish him and pursue him and love him the same way that he chooses and cherish and pursues and loves us. Because when I declare with all my life that I'm going to pursue Jesus and love him, I'm going to lift his name high. When I let the world know that everything I have is because of Jesus, that everything I have in me I'm going to pour out for him and pursue him and chase him and love him, that's going to lift his name higher than anything I can do, than any amount of clothes or prayers or, or, or anything like that that I can give God. All I have is that love for him. Now, I want to share a quick story, and I'm just going to read it. This is a, a quote by Jim Irwin, who was one of the astronauts on the Apollo missions to the moon. If you could chuck that picture up, Ben. Um, so this quote, this is something that Jim Irwin said after he got back from the moon. He says, When I looked out and saw Earth about as big as a little marble, I thought, how big am I? I am just a speck of dust, if that big compared to the universe. Yet this little speck has the capacity to know God, to know the one who holds the universe, to know his love and to have his direction. For the first time I saw, I felt God's love for the earth. I realized that God, God loved that little blue marble, that little blue planet. He loved all the billions of people on it and he loved me. I realized in that moment that my relationship with Jesus Christ was the most precious thing I had. I love that quote. It's amazing because, you know, when you're standing, it's like what Pastor Marty said last week. When the facts tell you one thing, the truth can be completely different. When Jim Irwin was standing on, the, on that moon, surrounded by the universe, the massive universe, looking at that small marvel... The facts were telling him that he was small and insignificant and worthless. But the truth of God told him that he was loved, that he was amazing, that he was valued. When the facts tell you that you aren't good enough, that you are unwanted, that you have no purpose, God tells you that you are amazing and you are valued and you are loved and that he has an amazing plan and purpose for your life. This, I think... In the last few years, and, and reading those verses has made me value what I have with God so much more. Because what I have with God defines me. What I have with God changes my life. It gives me purpose. It gives me identity. And it's attainable. It's right there. It's not changing. It's not out of reach. It's not, I'm going to get there tomorrow and God's going to change his mind. It's right there. It's a stable foundation that God has set for us to be on. That, that I can go through the rest of my life knowing that I am loved and valued, that I'm fearfully and wonderfully made, and that my purpose on earth is to be loved by God and love him back. That fundamentally, above everything else I do, the most important thing that I will do in my life is love God. That I will live my life bringing glory to him because I love him so incredibly much. That if I can just live my life letting people know how much I love God and how amazing he is that I've fulfilled my purpose. I've done what God placed me on this earth for. You know, I want to go back to that verse at the very start. But God said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. 
The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. Is your heart on fire for God this morning? Is your heart, is the deepest desire of your heart to have a relationship with Jesus? Is the, de- is the desire of your heart to, to choose him and cherish him and pursue him and love him with all of your life? Because that's all he wants from us. That's the one thing that he wants us. He created us and purposed us and gave us an identity of amazing, powerful beings with the ability to love him and to love us back. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you that you love us. We thank you that you chose us. We thank you that you cherish us, that you pursue us and and love us, God, even when we're not looking at you, even when our backs are turned to you, God. And God, I pray this morning that this house, this place would be filled with the people who know you, God who want to love you, who want to cherish you, who want a relationship with you, God. That a relationship that, that's not heavy and burdened, God, but a relationship that is in your grace. That we would pursue those unforced rhythms of grace, that we would pursue knowing you and being the people that you purposed and called us to be. We thank you, God, for this in your heavenly name. Amen. Amen.